Hello, I'm Hugh Ronzani and welcome to Brandenburg One. Thank you for joining me for more Baroque Now. As always for Baroque Now, I'm joined by one of the amazing musicians and artists bringing Baroque music to life with the Australian Brandenburg Orchestra. Today, I am very lucky to be sharing the microphone with an up-and-coming star of Baroque music, violinist Jonas Chenderlein. His captivating interpretations of Bach's music belie his young age. And today, we're going to talk about some of those composers who have inspired him, Corelli, Vestoff and Bach. Hello, Jonas. Thank you for joining me today. Hello. Thank you for having me. Look, it's a real pleasure to have you in the country, let alone here in this in this room. I know it wasn't a fait accompli that, that there were several things like quarantine that you've been through already. Yeah, that's right. It's it's actually quite a crazy thing to be here right now during this pandemic. But um, yeah, I'm so excited to to do all this with you guys. <laughs> and home must be, you know, obviously a, a long way away, and and you're probably missing your family right now. Would you like to say hello to anyone while we're, while we're recording? <laughs> Yeah, of course. I hope some friends and family will listen to this in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Now, as this is your first time in Australia, I would love for our Brandenburg listeners, but indeed listeners everywhere around the globe, to get to know you a little bit better. What are some of your earliest musical memories? Do you remember when you first saw or heard a violin? So, yeah, I was... Well, I grew up in a in a music household. Um, my parents are both music teachers at a local music school, and so everybody was playing an instrument in the family. And I think it was my brother playing violin, um, my older brother. And as a younger brother, you always want to do the same as <laughs> as your older siblings. So um, I wanted to play the violin as well. I think there was it was quite early. I I don't know five years old so um yeah at that point I, I started to have lessons well that's that's quite young indeed uh, <laughs> i mean to to clarify your point i wasn't as interested in property prospecting as my older brother was but but yeah it is true <laughs> that having an older brother does motivate you to do some things um, and and certainly they are our heroes aren't they and uh, and so tell me a little bit about that then as a five-year-old starting on the violin did you start on your own or you said private lessons yeah, the first lessons were with, um, it was actually a friend of my parents um, and I was having the lessons together with a friend of mine. So we had uh, duo lessons. Um, well, I have to say five years old for uh, for uh, starting the violin is actually quite normal. So uh, <laughs> there's nothing too special about it if, if you ask other uh, professional players. Maybe most of them have started with five quite years young. old. So. <laughs> Um, but yeah, still, and maybe it was a bit special that we started as a duo having the lessons. Yes. Um, and but this made made everything a bit more fun, and yes. uh, so the motivation was there, and you're kind of challenging yourself to be better than the others. Yes. <laughs> and and this, of course, this was on modern violin, wasn't it? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, obviously, very few players start on, on period instruments. And mostly, like you, we learn and study on modern instruments even for a very long time until, yeah, you know, cool. after a, a whole degree at university. Uh, do you remember when you uh, were introduced to the Baroque violin? Yeah, so that's why I mentioned this first... Um teacher i had i had only lessons for him for about one year after that i went to the local music school but this 
private teacher I had at the beginning, he has a lot of interest in early music. And he had two Baroque violins at home, one which he was playing, of course. And then he had the other violin and he just said, oh, why don't you take it and get tried? Um, so when I was, you, you know, you start with a very small violin and then you, as you grow, you, you get bigger violins. And <laughs> once you have the full size, um, it was, I don't know, 10 or 11 years old, um, he just gave me the violin and I, I could basically try just, um, and he he was also showing me some basic Baroque rules, right? so to speak. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think that's kind of special to get to know this, uh, the Baroque music that early. Yeah, so as a 12-year-old, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, also my, my parents uh, have a lot of interest in Baroque music that we, we heard... Um, recordings of Arno Kur and Kuiken basically since my birth. So yeah. <laughs> I, I was really, uh, yeah, growing up with all this. Well, you do have a lot of uh, things in common with several Brandenburg players, including Michaela Oberg, whose father was one of the founding uh, performers with the Brandenburg oh, wow. um, on Baroque flute and, and recorder. And uh, essentially, uh, you know, she remembers vividly growing up and and uh, and enjoying this music as part of everyday life it was just normal to have have yeah, these things and yeah. maybe pull a, a piece of music off from the the shelf and have a go at playing it for an hour <laughs> and then maybe never ever play it again <laughs> yeah i mean it, it was quite a luxury to have all this at home um and also my father has like kind of his own library <laughs> yeah <laughs> so he had a lot of also violin music at home uh, and was just giving me the music and oh why don't you try this and why don't you try this <laughs> yeah and having several books about uh yeah i don't the, the standard books like uh, mozart's violin violin schule violin school and, <laughs> and, and all, all this stuff so please yeah. i mean use your german accent because <laughs> it sounds great when you say it that's for sure um of course and and you say standard repertoire so so what was the standard repertoire for you at that age when you were first going to approach the baroque violin as it were were you playing things in particular that uh, your teacher had uh, do you remember something that you were playing? yeah well I do remember playing Handel sonatas quite early because they are very good to learn the the basic rules. Um, and this first violin teacher, he he showed me like where to put trills or where to put some other ornaments like uh, more. I don't know how you call these in English, but <laughs> oh, give us the German mordent or mordent. Yeah, yes, mordents. Yeah, it's almost just, the same. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, or just some some connections between the notes, you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I w I'm really grateful to to have had this uh, really early, and and also what was really important um, at that age was um, there was a Baroque youth orchestra just founded in Eastern Germany by um, actually by members of the. Akademie für Alte Musik Berlin, uh, which is one of the most famous baroque orchestras, I think. Yeah. And so they started this youth orchestra. You know, you, usually you have these uh, modern youth orchestras for national youth orchestras. So um, I was always looking to do that, maybe. But then we saw this baroque, really specialing on baroque music. It was so uh, something you we yeah it was just unbelievable at, at that time to to have like people friends at the same age uh to play baroque music together so yeah 
yeah, I, I started there, and this was really driving uh, my my passion for Baroque music, I think. Now, when you've spoken with other uh, Baroque musicians, professional musicians, who maybe uh, obviously weren't with you and, and didn't study with you at, the, at that at that point, but you've met along the way, um, do you feel like you've had some sort of advantage or leg up because you started so early and you had uh, access to these you know, wonderful programs? It's difficult to say. I mean... Um in the end, it counts only how, how much you uh, connect with the music and how much you like it and how much you can, uh, how, how much time you put into it. But um, I, I would say I definitely put a lot of time to it naturally because I just started so early and I just, I just loved the music so much more than the romantic music <laughs> when I was young. So. Uh, it was a really natural approach, and I didn't have to force myself to to do the baroque study like i don't know if i would have studied modern violin really passionately and then said okay maybe let's try the baroque music as well uh, it's a it's kind of a different approach yeah well you certainly do make it look very natural very easy <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> um maybe uh, something that was more difficult then um uh, during that early learning uh, period was there something that you remember in particular that was very daunting you know you, you maybe daunting, your right. your, fir- your first time uh, <laughs> Leading an ensemble like a youth ensemble, um. yeah. It, well, it's yeah. What was what you say is true. Um, in this youth baroque orchestra, it was really democratic. Like everybody could have the chance to to lead the group. Kind of everybody who was old enough. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, I was really lucky to have the chance. I don't know. I was fifteen or sixteen years old to to kind of lead the this baroque uh, youth orchestra and we were playing without conductors so um, it was really the the concert master the concert master mm. doing the conductor's job um, and of course when when you do your first steps in front of everybody it's yeah it's kind of daunting you could say that yeah <laughs> and maybe for our listeners at home who aren't so familiar with the terms obviously conductor and, and concert master yeah. and the ro- the way that those roles work how does it work when it's combined and obviously the concert master is leading the whole orchestra mm-hmm. um, what sort of things do you have to keep in mind and what what sort of things are you doing actively yeah so it's it's definitely different from the modern orchestras where you have the where you always basically always have a conductor um, who is also leading the rehearsals and saying everything and you just listen to him and do everything what he says <laughs> and nobody else is talking <laughs> kind of so um, in baroque the baroque period and also what we try to adapt nowadays uh, from that time is that actually at that time conductors didn't exist and the Everything a conductor does in a modern orchestra, the the concert uh, master and also other plays in the orchestra have to do. Like yes. it's not only one person who does the does the leading. Yes, but yeah. There's in, yeah, it's it's more kind of more responsibility for everybody in the group. Yes, um, especially the section leaders. That's true, but also the ones who sit behind because. Yeah, it's it's kind of more democratic, you could say. I mean, of course, the the concert master is uh, giving um, the entrances and and also has the last word, maybe in deciding things. Yes. Um, so yeah, but it's 
it's a it's a lot more fun to rehearse because yeah. uh, it can be chaotic sometimes. But <laughs> <laughs> and as our Brandenburg listeners would definitely be aware, uh, they've seen either our principal cellist Jamie Hay taking the lead on certain pieces, or Paul obviously when he's playing the harpsichord, yeah, sure. whether or not he's leading, or Sean Lee Chan as concertmaster. Yeah. It really is a role that gets shared dependent on the movement, dependent on yeah, you know w- right. what the material of the actual movement or, or music may be. Um, now uh, another colleague that you've met. Uh, through this recording process that you've just been through that we'll talk about in a little bit. My colleague, Matthew Greco, with whom I was actually at university. Um, Now, he swears by Corelli's Opus No. 5 sonatas uh, as one of those pinnacle of violin techniques and essentially important didactic tools for any budding Baroque violinist. Did you come across that, uh, that particular opus? Was that also something that you worked on when you were, when yeah. you were first learning the ropes? Yeah, definitely. I can't agree more with uh, Matt on that topic. <laughs> um, the, the Corelli sonatas are really a milestone in, I think, in comp- classical music composition in general because they, they have determined everything which was which came out after that and also it was so well thought out um by Corelli you know the even the date he published the uh, sonatas it was the first of January 1700 so it's really a special thing and um already at that time they they became so um popular around the whole mm. of Europe so um everybody wanted to play it not only violinists but also yeah basically any instrument uh, player wanted to play these sonatas because he was somehow um, setting the rules for a new way of playing. Like mm. maybe, maybe the it was the start of the high baroque. Yes. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's definitely a very important thing for every baroque violinist to to study these thoroughly. I would say. Yeah, and in terms of the lessons learned there. Uh, do you feel like, because obviously you had a very different approach to the Baroque violin, you did start learning so early, um, do you feel like that's one of the works that maybe when a modern violinist is looking to to relearn uh, the violin and come to the Baroque violin for the first time, is that one of the works that you would say if you were teaching someone, um, you know, go look at that, just, just take your time, read through the whole uh, collection and, and try and uh, assimilate what's going on? Yeah, I would definitely... <laughs> recommend that um also the what is really good about these corelli sonatas is that um there are a lot of ornamentations from that time which exist so there are some sonatas with ornaments by the master himself by corelli himself but also from many different composers who um yes who who just composed their own ornaments and wrote them down because yeah I mean, normally you don't write the ornaments uh, on a sheet of paper. You just um, think of them in your head, in your mind, and and then then you play them, and then you try around. But of course, now three hundred years later, it's very very important for us to have those uh, sources uh, of um, yeah ornaments they wrote down. And um, luckily, the the Corelli sonatas 
offer a lot of this. So Yes. And I can't help but mention your debut album, Pure. <laughs> and what struck me was that Corelli was literally the first thing on the album. You've uh, performed the Opus 5 number 5 with your, your harpsichordist friend Alexander von Heysen. Yes. Uh, now, I'm sure you say, say his name a lot better than I do. but yeah, it, was, it was perfect. <laughs> I think you have to ask I've him. I've been practicing. It was, it was really perfect. Yeah. Now, tell us a little bit uh, about this particular sonata. Why did you choose this one to um, to open your album Pure? So basically the album Pure is um, <laughs> just a selection of my favorite uh, pieces at that time. I mean, we had some kind of uh, direction we wanted to go. So um, as I said, Corelli could count as a father of, of all which comes after that. So I wanted to put him at the beginning of the album and... Um, I have played, yeah, basically every sonata of, of his collection, Opus Five, and um, I just love the, the the number five. It's it's so uh, it offers so many possibilities for a violinist yeah. to to yeah. I've 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 adapted a few ornaments he he uh, suggested, <laughs> Corelli suggested, yes. but also put in my own uh, ornaments just to. I mean. In the end, uh, it always has to be your own interpretation. So I think you kind of have to find a balance between what the composer has thought of. Um, mm -hmm. So you, <laughs> it shouldn't be totally different. Yeah. Um, but then in the end, you're you're uh, an individual musician. So yeah. yeah, with your own voice. Yeah. Yes. Now let's listen to you and Alexander performing the first movement from that sonata, the Adagio, uh, from Corelli's Violin Sonata in G Minor, Opus 5, Number 5. Now, Jonas, I'll, I'll leave that going on in the in the background. Such wonderful playing. You must be very proud of, obviously, this album, I think. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> it's been a long time ago since we recorded this. And if you listen to it after a few years, you'll think, oh, no, why did I do that? And why did I do that? So <laughs> I would change a lot of things now, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it comes with youth, though. The way that, uh, obviously, as a young player like yourself, um, that you approach this music, uh, it's almost fearless. You know, you're raring to go and, and, and the ornaments can fly in all sorts of directions. Yeah, that's, but that's true. there yeah. seems to be, for me, some, some real intention in the way that you're performing here with Alexander. Maybe tell us about your collaboration. Yeah, well, you mentioned it. We, we kind of wanted to be as free as possible for this without... Uh, 
I mean, without getting too much over the top, like uh, adapting still the, the Baroque uh, kind of approach. But uh, then again, um, I don't know, we, we had such a passion at this time for this music and we, we just loved playing this together. Um, we, Alexander and I, we, we both grow up with this and um, actually we met in the, in the youth orchestra I mentioned uh, before. So we've known each other for a lot of years now and at this youth orchestra we, we played sometimes all night long some, some Bach sonatas and uh, so yeah we were really happy to, to finally do a recording together um, and our approach was well to, to show our joy and our enthusiasm of, of the music I think so. Now, that was a wonderful uh, little moment there at the end. While you're playing that music, do you, do, what are you thinking about? Where does your mind go? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> I, I think the best um, which works for me um, is to have some images in your mind. It can be anything from nature to um, human emotions to some... Uh, stories you have experiences you have but it all somehow has to build up on 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 what you have in your mind because uh, you need to tell something with the music you can't just play the notes and that's it but you have to you need to have a picture and um, I think the clearer it is the the better it sounds like mm. um, if, if you have a clear imagination what you want to show with a piece uh yeah. yeah. When when I was uh, podcasting with Matthew uh, last, actually, he was talking about rhetoric. And this was one of the things that was a topic that, um, you know, how to be declamatory in terms of what are you trying to say and, um, and approaching the music more like some form of oration where you're speaking to the audience through yeah. the music. Yes. And then, therefore, you know, where the climactic points are, how are you going to uh, cadentially, you know, focus a certain harmony here or there. And, and all of these things, these minor details that sometimes even within a note, a long note, with a particular ornament become very important. Yeah, it's right. It's, I mean, the, the music is like uh, another language you have to learn, especially, um, yeah, it's, it's also like you could say Baroque music is its own language and romantic music is it's, it's another language. So yeah. you have to, to, to learn some vocabulary. You have to learn where to put accents, where to... Um, put some some other notes like like words in between which which we use now for example yeah. so it's it's yeah it's really comparable to language now talking about language obviously your English is remarkable <laughs> no, seeing as it's not your <laughs> not your maternal language maybe tell audiences uh, about uh, the the different languages that you do actually speak oh <laughs> well of course I speak German <laughs> which is my mother language and well I luckily had. English lessons quite early in my life during, I think it started in elementary school, which is nowadays would be even late because they, <laughs> I think now they start in, in kindergarten. Yes, so. it starts on Disney Plus. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, um, but yeah, somehow 
somehow the education was quite good with English. <laughs> so I was I was lucky about that. And I also had some French in school. I I was living in Paris for half a year, so I was using French at that when I was 19 years I was using French quite a lot. I I forgot everything now. <laughs> and now I'm actually learning Japanese. Uh, so yeah, I'm trying to get a bit fluent. <laughs> <laughs> and and out of these languages that you've obviously spoken and 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 do do know, uh, is there one in particular that you find your your mind or your musical language more closely aligned to? When you when you're speaking through your violin, do you think of phrases, I suppose, in the way that you might in German, or more so in French or or Italian, yeah. even or, or Japanese? <laughs> well, definitely not Japanese. I think <laughs> <laughs> that would be quite funny. But um, I think it is well the closest I can um, approach regarding music is it's also German. I think. Uh, I mean, I'm also playing quite a lot of German music. So, And if you play Bach cantatas, there's German <laughs> all the time. So, But it depends. I mean, if you're playing Vivaldi, you might think of some Italian, um, which is... Or, yeah, I mean, there are many similar words to French also, so yeah. it's not that difficult. I mean, with Vivaldi, the sonnets that actually go together with the uh, Four Seasons themselves, the actual poetry. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Now, on Pure, there are uh, works by other composers, Bach, Vestoff, and Montanari. Uh, why these other composers? Was there a story <laughs> or some sort of thread through the album? Yeah, so at the beginning, we thought of um, doing like a journey Bach's journey to Italy. You know, Bach has never been to Italy. Yes. But, <laughs> <laughs> he actually, he never really left home. Yeah. <laughs> but he certainly knew about Italian music and he has implemented this in his uh, works a lot. So um, I'm sh really sure he knew the Corelli sonatas. So we wanted to have this connection between Bach and the Corelli. Yes. Um, but then... We thought, okay, why not include also one unknown composer from Italy, like Montanari, yeah. um, who was a violinist and who, oh, if I'm not mistaken, he might have been a, a teacher or, <laughs> or a student of Corelli, but there, there is some kind of connection, I think, to Corelli. Mm -hmm. Um, he was living in Rome, though, and Corelli was, I think, in Bologna. No, well, Corelli actually, uh, yes, uh, oh, was, 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 was in Rome. He, yes. Oh, he was in Rome as yeah. well. Okay, yeah. sorry. I'm not a musicologist. No, 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 no. no. You're doing very well. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and on the other hand, we had the, the German composer Bach, and then we, had, we, we found these sonatas by Westhoff, which uh, somehow we liked very much, and... We knew that Westhoff and Bach had some connection as well. Yes, um, in Weimar. Yeah, that's true. And well, yeah, I think Westhoff was in Dresden. 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 Yes. Dresden. <laughs> yes. Um, he w he's a bit older than Bach, so um, I'm sure Bach knew him, and he actually wrote the first pieces for solo violin, so violin without any other instrument. Yes. That are known. I mean, might have been something before that, but. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, Westhoff might have been some inspiration for Bach. So yeah. we had this connection, Bach to Italy, but also Bach to his 
predecessors. Predecessors, somehow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Vestoff uh, is was another one of those finds for me personally when I hadn't heard much of his music or heard of him uh, yeah. really until I started uh, investigating Bach and his background and uh, where did Bach come from? Where where did the idea of producing a collection of sonatas and partitas for solo violin with no accompaniment, where did that idea come yeah, from? Yeah. And of course, Vestoff is the, is might, the, the, might the most obvious been, thing. Yeah. yeah, Might have been a motivation to Bach because Vestoff has written six suites or even more, you, you don't know, but... yes. Yeah, for solo violin. And one of my personal favorites from your album Pure is uh, actually one of Vesthoff's uh, works. It's the Largo, which uh, starts the violin sonata number two in A minor. I don't know what it is about it, but there's something so stark and strikingly simple, but yet surprising about the way this movement opens. Um, please uh, maybe tell us about why you chose this particular sonata um, to include on the album. So yeah, this sonata also comes from a whole uh, series. I think it's six sonatas for violin and basso continuo. And well, Vestov was a violinist himself, a very... Uh, very fine violinist. Yeah, so um, one of the, the most... Uh, highly regarded? Uh, yeah, one of the most highly regarded violinists of his time, I would say. Also, Dresden was uh, really... There was a lot of lot going on in Dresden. Yes, so. yeah. <laughs> Um, and so his works are really, can you say, violinistic? Uh, well, yes, because uh, I think also what you're looking for is the uh, uh, the influence that Vestoff clearly has from the Italian school. He yeah. was one of the first German violinists to embrace, I think, that Italian style. Yeah, the virtuosic in, in, style. Yeah, in, in his work. Yeah. So, but it's still so different from everything else I knew before. Mm. Um, like yeah, wh when you hear this opening in a minute, um, it it's just so special. To I don't know, he, the way he composes it, it's it's not really something Bach would do or or any of his uh, of of his uh, friends, so to say, <laughs> Dresden would do at that time. Yeah, uh, it's it's kind of a mix of of violin. <laughs> violinistic thing but then also implementing the, the the italian style it's it's so yeah it's really uh something new at that time well let's listen to you and alexander again this time performing the first movement the opening movement the largo from violin sonata number no. two in a minor by johann paul von Vestoff.
Jonas, it's just tell us about this music. What do you hear when you when you listen to this? <laughs> so first, when I first saw the the score of this, I was really, um, I didn't really know what to do because it looks so plain. There's not much in the music, so you really have to think what 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 is the image of this. And when we were just listening to it, you you told me it sounds like a clock. And it really is, I think, a clock. Uh, <laughs> There's not really something else you can think of. It's it's these um, these small notes, and then the rests in between, and the, the harpsichord and the violin uh, reacting to each other, and then the improvisations in between. It's like it's it's the, it's a clock going and then stopping, and then uh, you have some something going on, and then and then the time goes on. So it's yes, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you enjoyed my analogy. I must say, I, I truly do um, think that the, that that whole sonata is very interesting. But as soon as I heard the opening largo, I was I was drawn to it. I think how could you can't you can't turn it off. It's just yeah. you want to hear what's going to happen next yeah. too. The anticipation. Thank you, Vestov. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> Now you've mentioned the relationship between Vestov and uh, Bach, Herbach. Uh, perhaps we could talk a little bit about the program that you've just recorded at the City Recital Hall, uh, oh, yeah. Bach's, Bach's Universe. Uh, maybe tell us about the collaboration with Paul Dyer. Firstly, how did you two meet? We met. We first met in actually in Europe. Paul came to Europe in, I think it was in 2019. Yeah, it was a thing that people used to do. <laughs> yeah, back then, yeah. <laughs> Different times, huh? Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Um, so, yeah, he came to Europe uh, for a trip to to some destinations. I think he went to Scotland, but then I had this concert in Holland, and Paul, I think he studied in Holland. So yes, he did, yes. He was keen uh, to coming there, and so we met at the Utrecht Early Music Festival, and, uh, yeah, I was really happy to to meet him there. You know, actually, he had contacted me before that, so um, it was not like we met there and oh, who are you? Who are you? Yeah. <laughs> so we knew we knew about each other at that time, and yeah, I, I was really happy. Uh, <laughs> I was really lucky and happy that I think it was a friend of Paul's who uh, showed him my pure city. So. Um, I think that's how Paul got to know me and then, then we met in Utrecht and we thought, oh yeah, it might work well working together. Yeah, and so with Bach's universe, uh, what musically was the first thing that you both were drawn to? Did you already agree at Utrecht? Or, oh, let's do some Bach together or, or, or how, did, how did that actually happen? Yeah, I think it was actually from the beginning the idea to do some Bach together. You know, Paul loves Bach and uh, I think it's it's also what the Brandenburg is really determined to do mm. because of the name Brandenburg. Yeah, Brandenburg. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, I was really more than happy to do Bach with Paul. He was suggesting it at the beginning and uh, because Bach always was, was a big thing for me. So... Um, I was happy to to bring the joy of of how we perform Bach in Germany 
maybe to, to Australia. Yes, and with also tempered by your youth too because as a, a younger player, um, you know, leading orchestras, uh, sometimes for the first time, obviously this is the first time you've led the, yeah. the Brandenburg Orchestra in, uh, in, unfortunately not in live concert, <laughs> but obviously in digital uh, concert recording setting, a digital, in a digital concert recording setting, um, you know, the, it, you, you bring a certain energy to that first time the first time we do anything, obviously, there's yeah, a bit of... Uh, definitely, <laughs> definitely, yeah. I was yeah. super excited before I came here. So, um, yeah. yeah, thank you so much for no. this opportunity. <laughs> and, and tell us now, why did you choose uh, Bach's Violin Concerto in E major for this debut? Was there something about the E major concerto that you're drawn to, as opposed to the D minor or, or other the other concertos? Yeah, when Paul and I were, were talking about this uh, whole Bach's Universe project, we we were we really wanted to uh, include a violin concerto, and there are different options. So um, the E major one really draw to us because of its it's it has kind of a youthful joy, which might uh, match my personality at the moment. Well, no, it it does. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So this was definitely a reason, and um, also it has not been recorded, I think, that many times as maybe the A minor one or the D minor one, yes. which are a bit yeah. more popular. So, um, and there, it's it's quite difficult because of the tonality. E major is really challenging on for string players. So, um, yeah, the, it was on the one hand the, the challenge, the the joy the the, the concerto has, but also. Well, it has it has so many different faces. Like the, the second movement has also very deep uh, emotions, mm. and uh, it's it's going quite deep as well. So, yeah, it has everything, um, and you learn so much when playing it. So I, I was really happy to do this. Well, it sounds like almost every piece that Bach ever wrote. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's true. Yeah, but uh, no, but you're 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 very uh, you're very right. Um, <laughs> especially when Bach starts in a major key, you're you're not quite sure uh, where uh, he'll go to explore the deeper, sort of more somber sometimes emotions that that he will usually draw out in the in the slow movement if he's you know following an Italian eight form yeah. fastly fast you know yeah. it's it's quite interesting you know what i always have to think of when playing like joyful bach pieces or joyful pieces by bach um is that actually you know that every tonality in baroque music has a different meaning and actually e major is uh is the tonality of death and it's always when bach um is yeah, you could say talking about death in his cantatas also, it's quite joyful. Yes. So he doesn't see death as a, as a bad thing. Yes. It could be to, to get to be free, actually. So yeah. um, I like this this combination of, of the joyful E major, which, which to our ears kind of sounds joyful, but also has this deeper meaning. Yes, yeah, indeed, indeed. Now, in terms of the Bach series, so obviously you've, you've recorded these things for the uh, for Bach's universe, but then again, some other works for the Bach series, which we're going to get to see on Brandenburg One. Um, you were in a brand new studio in Alexandria. Oh, yeah, that was very nice. <laughs> tell tell us about that experience. Yeah, I was uh, I was really blown away by it, by the the big screen and how professional uh, everybody was. So. Yeah, it was a lot of fun actually to do this. Uh, it was it was interesting to to be to connect all this, uh, yeah, the artwork in the background with the with Bach's music because yes. 
the amazing thing about Bach's music is that it works almost in every environment. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's never sounding bad. So, um, yeah, it, it's always nice to have to have a new environment, not always, always the classic uh, concert hall. Yes, yeah. And maybe tell us exactly what you played. So what did you record for the Bach series? So we implemented a few pieces we did with Bach's Universe. Um, we did a prelude from a sonata for violin and basso continuo in E minor. Um, just the first movement, which is kind of mysterious, a mis mysterious start uh, to the to the whole sonata. And then I played two pieces for solo violin from his first sonata in G minor, um, which are both quite challenging and because they they have they they are connected to each other, but they have a huge contrast. Like uh, the first, the Siciliano is um, very calm, and I don't know. I always imagine some be being in nature and uh, relaxing in nature, maybe having some some peace. Uh, well, that, it's interesting you mentioned nature. I actually, when I hear that particular Siciliano, I I think of like a, a nursery rhyme or some sort of <laughs> some sort of song for children. It, there's ah, it, there's some yeah. there's a simplicity to it that yes. is is rare actually in the whole collection of sonatas yeah. and, and partitas. And that I think the simplicity makes it so difficult mm. to not, um, can you say, overload yes, uh, the yes. emotions in the piece. Knowing when to ornament and, yeah. and when not to. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's always difficult with Bach. <laughs> you shouldn't <laughs> do too much. <laughs> but then you have the, the presto after it, which is like a super chaotic, uh, I don't know, angry man. <laughs> <laughs> talking in front of you and you're just uh wow wh what is he doing <laughs> so yeah it's it, it's interesting always interesting to to play those pieces now you this isn't the first time that you've recorded solo bark of course um on your pure album there's also a, a particular movement the jig the giga from violin partita number two in d minor um, what was it at, at that time? What was it about this particular jig that that you know uh, drew you in and, and uh, you know made you choose it for the album? Yeah. So the the second partita could somehow be seen as the core of the the six um, works for solo violin by Bach, because um, as you might know, he had composed it after the death of his first wife. Um, so the the giga comes right in before the the famous chacon, mm. um, which is like uh, the peak of <laughs> every violinist to play. And I thought, yeah, why not do the the movement before? Because it's it's kind of preparing what what comes after that. And mm. I didn't want to. Um, for example, I, I didn't want to take the chacon right away when I don't know. I think I was 18 years old at that time. So the 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 giga is kind of simple again, and yes. uh, it might f it might kind of show that the last joy in life uh, he could find at that moment. It's it's so interesting. Yes, I, and of course, there's a lot of speculation uh, surrounding that particular partita because the chacona is so much, it's even longer than all the other movements combined. <laughs> it's like, what is it doing structurally? How, how do you figure out, oh, well, I'm going to do this partita and at the end of it, you're going to play twice as much music as you've just played. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, it it depends on the tempo you play the Chacon. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's definitely uh, it's a really amazing piece. So long yeah. and you it just doesn't stop. Yeah, <laughs> but that's not what we're going to hear now. We're going to hear the Giga, which is essentially, as you said, the movement before the Chacona from the violin partita number two in D minor. Thank you. 
Now, Jonas, it was impossible for me to break up that clip <laughs> at some at some point because it's just such fantastic and fascinating uh, music. Hearing yourself performing uh, now, obviously, it's been a while since that particular recording. Um, how does the music speak to you, or, or what do you, what sort of things do you think of, um, or have sprung to your mind while listening? Yeah, it's quite. It's very interesting listening to this now. I, I haven't heard it for I don't know a few years. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's. I, I think I would play it totally different now. But um, I think at that time, I my aim was to to really search for the, every possibility, um, like the maximum and the minimum on the violin with articulation, everything. Um, I was really trying a lot at that time. Dynamics too. Yeah, dynamics. So, um, yeah, and I, I think I also wanted to include a bit of this Italian component because it's quite a virtuosic piece and I'm sure Bach was uh, kind of influenced by the Italian uh, way of composing for this piece. Um, so, yeah, I, I liked to to... to include this uh, yeah, articulation <laughs> kind of thing in this piece. Well, Jonas, you've already been so generous with your time today. Thank you so much for, for coming and, and joining well, me. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to talk about Bach and everything music and language, uh, especially too, <laughs> with you. Now, is there anyone you'd particularly like to shout out to uh, before, we, before we finish today? Well, it's, it's been such a pleasure to be here. And I think the shout out goes to the whole Brandenburg team especially Paul, who has been inviting me to, to Australia and that we've been able to to proceed with all this, with the recordings in these difficult times. Yeah. It's, it's been really great doing this. So thank you so much, Brandenburg. Thank you again, Jonas. <laughs> the Brandenburg is proud of our long-standing relationship with partner Macquarie Group. Our partnership with Macquarie Group is built on a shared vision of infinite possibilities and a commitment to the very highest standards of excellence. The Brandenburg is also proud to be supported by APA Group, our presenting partner for the Bach series. Through our partnership with APA Group, we have the opportunity to connect Baroque music to audiences and communities throughout Australia.